Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this morning to our fourth and final week of our series entitled Now Boarding from Gate to Go, a series designed to describe how the gospel works at Palm Vista to make disciples. Three weeks ago, we began the series with a message entitled Gospel Unity, Gospel Unity from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And here what we sought to do was to bring unity to us as a church that desperately needs it, going through a season that has been very disunifying over the last three years. God is bringing us back together, and he's rebuilding us for the very gospel mission we just saw. And that's what we learned in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We wanted, we wanted to unify under the gospel. What is it? And we defined it. And we wanted to unify under the gospel mission, what is it, make disciples. And then we said, well, what's a disciple? We defined that. And then two weeks ago, on November 1st, we preached a message called Gospel Connection from Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. And we talked about the fact that God connects us to himself in Christ. That's the gospel, that's primary. And then he connects us to one another. And we gave the rationale for the church. And why God uses the church, whether in Miami Lakes or in Istanbul or in Izmir. Did you recognize Ephesus, by the way? They were standing in the amphitheater in Ephesus. It was one of those photos where Paul preached. And then last week, Corey preached a message called Gospel Growth from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. And there we talked about the fact that God wants to grow us so that we can become his people, that image of him into this world. And so this week, I have the opportunity to preach now on our gospel mission. That's the title of our message this morning, and it's out of 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. But let me review for you what we're doing in this four-part series. We are laying down the foundation of who we are as a church. Here we go, folks. Here's the foundation. All aboard. All aboard. Let's go. And so this, this diagram helps you understand what is the foundation of Palm Vista. At the foundation of Palm Vista is Christ Jesus in Christ. There's no other foundation that one can lay. He is the gospel. But then in Christ, we connect and we grow and we go. And here's the illustration that we used to describe the discipleship process. If Christ came and he commands us to then, he did come, and he commands us then to go and make disciples with the gospel. What is that process at Palm Vista? It's very important to identify the mystery process, and then we can all agree on it. There are many different churches, and that's great. There are many different groups and clubs and Bible studies and so forth. That's all great. But here at Palm Vista, who are we, what do we do, and how do we do it? So here's the illustration. We're taking a trip. We're flying somewhere, air travel. And so that trip is is one that God calls us to take. God connects us to himself. He saves us. And then he says, okay, you've got a destination. Ultimately, that destination is heaven and the new heavens and the new earth in Christ to share his glory. But right now, that destination is discipleship. Destination, discipleship. Becoming disciples of Christ together. Imaging Christ together. So now that he saved us, We buy the ticket. We know that we're going somewhere, destination, discipleship, and we buy a ticket. We buy a ticket. And we have said that that buying the ticket is joining the church. In fact, there are six family units right now that are going through the pastoral um, um, interview process for new membership. We're going to interview a few of them. I interviewed one last week. And um, they, you know what they're doing right now? They're, they're, They're saved 
and they're sitting in front of their computer and they're saying, do I want to buy this ticket for this airlines for this trip? And they get their fingers poised right now over the, the enter button. And we'll have an interview with them. And the ones that hit yes, you'll see them up here on December 6th. Because on that day, we receive new members. They buy their ticket, membership to the church. And then when you buy the ticket on the day of your flight, what do you do? You, you check in. You go through security. You take your shoes off. You get everything scanned. You get scanned. Everything gets scanned. And, you, and it delivers you where? To the gate. That's connect. Delivered to the gate. And primarily that occurs, connection occurs primarily on Sunday mornings. I understand it occurs elsewhere, but every illustration has to be limited so it makes sense and is memorable. Connect happens on Sunday. God connected us to himself in Christ by the gospel, and then he connects us to one another in church on Sunday morning. And that's what you're doing here. Thank you for being here. But you know, it's not enough just to check in at the gate, because you have to get to your destination. What's the next step? You've got to board the flight. You've got to board the flight. Does you no good to buy a $5,000 first-class ticket to some European hotspot, and you check in, and then you don't get on the plane? Well, boarding the plane, we're saying, is community groups. It's the grow piece. It's a little uncomfortable. It gets a little bit tighter. You're in an airplane with people doing and saying things and emitting noises and sounds that you may not like, even a few smells. And you're going, what am I doing up here? And you're flying there and it's a little bumpy and it's like, you know, whoa. But listen, you'll never get to your destination if you don't get on board. You won't get there and we won't get there. All aboard. Hey, come on. We're waiting for you. They're about to close the door. Let's go. See, community groups, as Corey preached so well last week, is where we apply this thing. It's what the Bible talks about. It's where we're knit together. It's where I get to know you and you get to know me and we can serve one another and become the body of Christ and work this thing out and make meals for one another and help one another move. And and it's the good and the bad and the ugly. And then the plane lands. And that's the go piece. It's what Corey talked about in Turkey. It's what I'm going to be preaching this morning. It's not enough to buy the ticket. It's not enough to check in and and, and deliver yourself to the gate. It's not enough to get on the plane and fly 10 hours over to wherever. But when it lands, you need to get out of the plane. And that's the go, that's the make the disciples piece that I'll be preaching this morning. So, are you there? 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12. Let's pray. Lord, I pray again that you would open our eyes to your word, that these wouldn't just be words but it would be your word as we read it, and then your spirit would unite us. Because in you, Lord Jesus, we are connected. Thank you. And we're connected with one another. And in you we grow, only in you, in our community groups, certainly elsewhere, but primarily there. And in you we go and make disciples with your gospel, your followers. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter 2. Verse 9, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
of salvation. I believe you can summarize this passage with this statement. Here it is on the screen. Our gospel, our gospel mission flows from our gospel identity. Our gospel mission flows from our gospel identity. This is what Peter is telling the church in Rome as he's writing this. He's saying our gospel mission flows from our gospel identity. So point one, our gospel identity. What is our gospel identity? Well, I want you to look at verse 9 here, 1 Peter 2. Peter uses this unique way to describe us. He says, you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're a people for his own possession. Where in the world did Peter get that? Well, Peter is quoting the Old Testament. Peter is quoting Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Exodus was written in 1500 BC. Peter is writing this around 50 or 60 AD. So 1,500 years earlier, Moses wrote Exodus, and what he's doing in Exodus 19 is he is recording God's words to Israel, his people, whom he has just drawn out of Egypt, slavery to Pharaoh, through the Red Sea, and now they're at Mount Sinai, where Charlton Heston is bringing down the Ten Commandments. It's a trick question. It's Moses. And he's, through his word, he's forming his people. Stay with me, his people, his people. And listen to what Moses records God saying. Exodus 19, four through six. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptian and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. See, Peter's quoting this in 1 Peter 2, nine. Among all peoples for all the earth is mine. Verse 6 now of Exodus 19. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Peter calls us royal priesthood. And a holy nation. And Peter just quotes that verbatim. These are the words that you shall speak to the people Israel. That people that was formed in the desert in 1500 BC. Now has been redeemed in Christ in 60 AD. And this is the people Peter says. You are those people he called then, but now has formed now. You're the church. And this is who we are, church, because he's speaking to us today, 2,000 years later. You ready? Look at verse 9. We are a chosen race. We've been chosen before the foundation of the world. In Christ, God chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you. Not because you're great, but because he's kind and merciful. We're a chosen people. And look, we're a royal priesthood. What does that mean? It means that as God's people, we're a priesthood. We mediate the blessings of God to the nations. Corey mentioned this. The first Hebrew was a guy named Abraham. Very well known. He fathered a child at 100. Some of you are trying to challenge him, but he was 100, (laughs) not 50. So he fathered a child at 100, and God said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. That's what a priest does. He mediates God's blessings to the nations. And in fact, one of Abraham's descendants, Jesus, is the blessing to the nations, as Corey said. We're now the royal priesthood who takes that blessing, and we mediate it to the nations. That's why we go to Turkey and Cuba, the DR, and, 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 and Young Circle in Hollywood at Arts Park. In Hialeah, oh yeah, in Miami Lakes, Pembroke Pines, 
Although, if you're from Miami or Hialeah and you go into Pembroke Pines, remember, take your passport. We're a holy nation. What does that mean there in verse 9, a holy nation? Listen, the word holy, the, the, the Greek word there is hagios. It does mean like pure, but actually what it means is set apart. We're set apart. And then the, if you look in verse 9, we're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. See, in Exodus, he said, you're my people, my possession, although I own the whole world, you're my special people. I'm setting you apart for a purpose to display my worship amongst the nations, Israel, 1500 BC, promised land, church, 60 AD Rome, church, 2015 Miami Lakes. You are mine. Paul would say it this way. I no longer live for myself, but I live for him who died for me. I'm God's possession. You and I, if you're a Christian, have been bought by the most precious thing ever, the blood of Jesus. You're no longer your own. You belong to God. Oh, I love this. Look at verse 10. We once were not a people. This is our identity. We once were not a people. See that, verse 10? But now we are God's people. Remember two weeks ago, we preached out of Ephesians 2? We were once those people that were without hope, without the promises, we were orphaned. And now we are the people of God. You were not a people, now you've been adopted, you've been given the promises of God. And then it says at the end of verse 10, we were once without mercy, but now we've received mercy. Ephesians 2 tells me that I was a child of wrath, and deservedly so, because I was a lawbreaker and a rebel, and I hated God. But God in his mercy gave me his grace, and chose me, and loved me, and now I'm a child of mercy. You see, this is our gospel identity, church, and our gospel mission flows from our gospel identity. Listen, this gospel identity produces our gospel mission, and that's point two. Point two, our gospel mission. I want you to look at the text again at verse nine. Look at verse nine. My friends, God chose us. He made us royal priesthood. He made us a holy nation. He made us his possession, not just so that we could walk around and feel good or superior or that we'd be safe. No, no, no. He did it so that we would then, look at verse 9, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our gospel mission. That is what God called us to do listen when god called you when god converted you god commissioned you that's what this text tells us we're called to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into light i love the way paul says it i believe the text is on the screen second corinthians 4 6 for god who said let light shine out of darkness boy that's genesis 1 verbiage that's john 1 verbiage that is god talking darkness i create light dead souls i make them alive children of wrath i make them children of promise those who were orphans without hope without anything no people i make them my people isn't that great? Only God can do that. And if you're here, God's done that for you and he's knit you with us together. Why? Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's called us so we could shine forth and reflect. He's the sun, we're the moon. or stars and reflect his glory. I want you to notice the corporate language here. It's not singular. 
It's together. We together proclaim his excellencies. We together proclaim the goodness of what God has done for us. God wants to use your story. And I want to tell you about a story of these individuals right here. Sorry, you can't see it very well. But see the guy standing in the back that looks like a Secret Service agent with his sunglasses on? That's Eric Olson. And his son, Sebastian, is just to the left of him holding the Agua Gratis sign. And October 24th, Eric and Sebastian, as you can see, other of our youth, led by David and Mindy, they brought their little girls, and even Solomon, King Solomon, um, to the park right here, right next door. And they handed out water. And listen to Eric's words as he describes that morning. We went to the park on a Saturday morning to give away free water and hand out invites to the church. It wasn't quite what I expected. It was not only fun, but I got to see a small part of the Miami area and just how much we all need Jesus. While we were going from field to field, giving the water to kids and parents, we were able to have a short conversation with some of them. I only had one about the church, that is to say conversation, with someone who seemed genuinely interested. Most of the parents were very thankful and accepted with a smile and a thank you. Some people just didn't seem to be thirsty. But the reaction that I didn't expect was from some people, just a very few. You couldn't give them a bottle of cold water on a hot day because it came from a church. Really? Just because it came from a church or we have a church invite to give you with the bottle of water, you don't want anything to do with it? Okay, no problem. Have a great day. But as I thought about it more, I realized just how much we need to be sharing the gospel with people in our everyday lives. We, have some, we had some extra water after the baseball fields were served, and so we handed them out at the stoplight. One person asked, why are you giving out water? After they heard it had a church invitation, they said, oh, that's why, and rolled up their window and drove away. South Florida really needs Jesus, especially if they want nothing to do with him. Sebastian, his son, wrote this, and this is now a high schooler. Three weeks ago, our youth group engaged in an outreach to spread the word about our church to the people right next to the middle school in the park. We all passed out water bottles and pamphlets about the church. Most of these were taken with no regard or not taken at all. However, there were a select few that took the time to find out what we were about and what we supported. This select few, even if it was only five out of 300, made the entire effort worthwhile. I myself was very happy to even try to spread the message of the church to people who may not have had the incentive or the initiative to go. I was very moved that I was able to even just briefly expose even five people to God who may not have had the means otherwise. Because ultimately, it is not the number of people served. It is how deeply you are able to touch their lives that matters. Yeah. Our history, our our future is bright with youth like that. God wants to use your story. He wants to use you. Listen, enthusiasm and affection for God that launches us into the mission. It's cultivated when we do two things. Two things. Oh my, that was horrible. Forget you saw that. So glad there's no video. Two things. Can I recover from that? Yes, I'm going to try. Two things. Two things. Two things. Number one, gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. And number two, 
looking to the future and the glory that he promises to do for us. Now, I'm stealing this from Corey Smidgen. In fact, you can go online and you can find the diagram that Corey um, uh, produced for our Grow 201 class this, this last fall. It ended last week, though there were a few people that thought that it, it was had one more week, Corey, because they came this morning very early. I said, oh, there's no class? No. And, and, and in that diagram, he talks about our affection for God if, when it's low down here. It's either low because we're suffering, and if we're suffering, we need to look to the future glory that Jesus provides for us and promises us. We need to look forward to the promises of God, but sometimes our affection for God is down here because of sin. We sin. We feel like hypocrites. And when that happens, we need to look backward in gratitude to what Jesus has done for us. Thank you, Corey. I, I, go online and just get the diagram, if nothing else, but listen to the, especially the first one. It was the first class where he described it. it it's life-changing. I had not heard this spoken that way before. I've not read about it that way before. It's helped me, Corey, so much. Thank you, sir. But, but it's that affection, that affection for God that, that fluctuates, you know. And when I feel the affection, I go to the park and hand out water when only five out of 300 even give me the time of day. But when I, the affection's low, I don't even have a quiet time. I don't even say hi to my wife. How does the Lord move us along this continuum of the discipleship process so that we connect and we grow and we go? Well, that, see, that's where the means of grace are Sunday morning service. Thank you for being here. God's word connecting to one another. Listen, community group, that is a must. We will not mature as a body without that. We won't. And then to go, which is what I'm preaching this morning, through the ministry teams and through the ministries that God would use us. What am I trying to give you? I hope you saw with Eric and with Sebastian. You moved. You were over there, Eric. (laughs) With Eric and Sebastian, is that these are everyday people. Right? Right? High school student, uh, someone that's in the construction industry that works way up in Boca somewhere and drives, I don't know how many hours every day, and he's just trying to keep up with life. You know, these are just ordinary people doing evangelism in everyday life. See, one author said it this way, churches are called to be bodies of people sent on mission rather than storefronts for vendors of religious services and goods. We're not a religious mall. You can come get your cappuccino. Where will I be served best? Who's got the best children's ministry? I don't know about that worship. They're okay, you know. Bass player, you know. No, just kidding. No, 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 no. We're not a farmer's market. We're not some spiritual farmer's market. Come over here. No, we're going out. We are spending and being spent for Jesus because he was spent for us. But listen, it's not enough to proclaim the gospel, point 2A, but point 2B. We must demonstrate the gospel. And that are what verses 11 to 12 talk about. Listen, in verses 11 and 12, Paul now, excuse me, Peter now, shifts his emphasis from how Christians relate to one another to how Christians relate to the world. Well, read it with me. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So he's talking now how we live as sojourners, as foreigners in this world, because we are. To abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, and they did in Peter's time and they do today, 
They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I am sure that Peter was thinking of what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. Tom Schreiner says it this way in his commentary on on 1 Peter. Peter almost certainly alluded to the words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Back then, Christians were, were said to be cannibals. Did you know that? That Christians were said to be cannibals in the first century? Well, think about it. They meet in secret and they talk about eating the body of Christ and drinking his blood. And because they were hated, they had the reputation of being cannibals. Well, today we're not called cannibals, but we're called bigots. We're called, well, you know what you're called. And, and so when we serve, we're probably going to be spoken evil against. But when that happens, keep your conduct honorable. Don't just declare the gospel, but demonstrate it in your homes with your children as you work. You be the hardest worker. You be the first one there, the last one home. You, you be the one that's the most honest. You be the one that holds your tongue when everybody else is railing against someone else. You not be a gossiper in the lunchroom. You not be a slanderer. Now look, we all fail in that, right? Back to square one, my identity. I'm a forgiven one. I own, listen, we are not perfect, but we're authentic. Here's authenticity. It's not me saying I'm perfect. It's me preaching the truth. And then when I don't live it, I'm the first one to say, hey guys, can I just, yesterday when we were talking about so-and-so here in the lunchroom, I participated in something that personally I don't think I should have. I just want to tell you, I'm so sorry. People go, what? (laughs) What was that? You know, uh, so we're authentic, we're everyday people, but we have a God who is awesome and powerful and he calls us on this mission to proclaim and to de- demonstrate the excellencies of the one who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, the, the point here is this. Our gospel mission flows from our gospel identity. I want to leave you with two application questions. I want to leave you with two application questions that I pray that I've prayed that would, that, that would turn evangelism and going and making disciples, and it is hard work. And, and you know, you, you get butterflies in your stomach when you walk up to somebody in the park, you know, and you, would, you, would you like some water here? <laughs> and, and you know, you don't know what they're going to say to you. Or even more, someone you know well at work, and you start sharing about Christ. I understand that. But I pray God would turn it from duty to delight. So here are the two questions for you. Community groups be talking about this on this coming week. What has to take place in my heart? So you're asking yourself this question. What has to take place in my heart so that telling others about Jesus feels like a privilege or a delight and not a duty? What, what has to happen in my heart for faith to rise and fear to fall? And I think this paradigm that, that Corey gave, the Grow to a One class, this gratitude when sin is keeping me down and my affections down, gratitude for who I am, rehearsing I'm a holy people, I'm a royal priesthood, I'm a chosen one, rehearsing that my righteousness is in Christ, not in myself, gratitude, but I think glory as well. Looking to the future, this is not my home. Jesus promises me glory with him. And, and when those things start, start going through my head instead of how bad I am or how bad the world is or how much I hate that person or I'm not going to talk to that person or whatever, when these tapes are playing in my head, my, my affection begins to rise. As Corey said, we're not here to examine my weak works and my inability. We're here to examine Jesus. Here to examine Jesus. 
So what has to take place in my heart so that telling others about Jesus feels like a privilege or you can say feels like a delight and not a duty for faith to rise and fear to fall? And here's the second application question. Are there any areas in my life where I have lost my radical edge? It's maybe more for those that have been walking with the Lord for a while. Are there any areas in my life where I have lost my radical edge? And here's what I mean by that. I think, I think this is what we need to be thinking. Oh Lord, this morning, I want to enjoy you more so others will ask me about you. If I'm in love with my wife or maybe some of you who are are dating or courting or you're just recently married and you're in love with somebody and you you, you come into work and say, you can't believe what he did for me last night. I say, tell me about this guy. Do these men even exist? He's so kind. You know what he bought me? He thought about how much I like this and he got me that. As our love for God, as we mature as Christians together, we start talking about God that way. And people say, I want to know that. That's what Peter's saying to the believers here. And all the while, they're being spoken evil against and they're hiding in the catacombs. And, you know, life's tough in Rome. Nero is starting to blame them for the great fire. You know, I mean, to be a Christian meant not good things back then. But Peter's saying, don't back down. Let your affection for God grow. And be my witnesses, be my disciples. So the two questions, what has to take place in my heart so that telling others about Jesus feels like a a, a delight or a privilege and not a duty where faith would rise and fear would fall? And are there any areas in my life that I've lost my radical edge? How can I grow my affection for the Lord? Well, let let me leave you with this as the worship team prepares to join us here in the front. We've got some opportunities beyond everyday life. I mean, it starts with everyday life. It really does at Palm Vista. It starts with relationships. It starts with you living out your life as a Christian and inviting people to come and watch it. Or you living out your life as a Christian and invite people to come and watch us live our lives together. This afternoon when you have lunch with somebody because as believers we want to set aside Sundays to be with God's people and talk about God's word. Invite some unbelieving friends. On December the 12th there's another opportunity. December the 12th. It's a Saturday from 4 to 9 p.m. Come out to Young Circle at Arts Park in Hollywood, and watch us all put on this incredible birthday party for Jesus. It's called Christmas Near the Beach. It's our opportunity to say, you know what? This is about Jesus. It's a variety show. Mickey and Dina McDaniel, it's, it's their brainchild given to them by the Lord. And when they came to the church, they were doing it. We said, let's do it together. And I think last year there was like 6,000 people that were there at some point that evening walking around. There's booths. There's a Santa's uh, there. And the Santa's a born-again believer from Orlando. And he's preaching the gospel. Okay? Um, there's choirs. There's ballets. There's, it's beautiful. It's done well. Invite your friends to come watch us put it on. Come watch the Beecham community group put on Santa's sleigh or whatever you guys did with the Kelso's group last year. And that's a massive undertaking. I don't know how many kids that went through there. Do you remember how many kids went through there? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Yeah, you remember, right? <laughs> and there was a place where they take pictures. I think Ashley was, you know, okay, hold still. You know, we, we do the, give them this little card with the church name on it and then go online and get their picture. Invite them to an event. And then further down the road, beyond this December 12th, next year, August 6th to 13th, tentatively, of 2016, tentatively, 
Uh, we're going to go serve Tony and Amber Ellswick, former members of this church, who are missionaries with Mission to the World, the PCA's mission organization in Managua, Nicaragua. And, and Tony is ministering in the outskirts of Managua to very poor people in schools and hospitals and churches and communities, construction projects. And as a matter of fact, at the end of this month, uh, Corey and David are going to do a little scouting trip there and, and begin to plan this project. And it's not, it's not cheap. We understand that. And by the way, we want to open it beyond just the youth because, because of the cost, not all the youth may be able to go. That's okay. There's opportunities here. But there may be some singles. There may be some of you who aren't a youth and you're not a single and you want to go. Talk to David. Talk to Corey. You know, God's got his people that are going to go. It may not be, it's, it's not for all of us. It's probably not even for most of us, but it's for some of us. And then God will infect you with something over there, and you'll come back here, and will the rest of us will get infected with that. And we're doing here, as Corey said, what is done in Turkey or Managua or Havana or Cienfuegos or Matanzas or Santo Domingo. See what I'm saying? Same gospel. And then finally, in two years, 2017, God willing, we'll go back to Turkey. But that's two years away, so most of us don't plan more than two days away, so I won't labor you with that. Church, let's pray, and then let's stand and sing Why No Fear. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us an affection and a passion for you that is born out of gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ and glory, what you promised to do for us in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.